Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to uh, the second hour of Amplify with Father Boniface Hicks, Benedictine priest and nun, St. Vincent's Arch Abbey. It's where I was in the seminary a long time ago from 1960 to 66, but I loved it. That's where my formation was, um, especially the the monks who were there at that particular time. Um, we're talking about a book that he has written with Father Boniface, with, excuse me, Father Thomas Acklin, uh, titled Personal Prayer, A Guide for Receiving the, the Father's Love. Um, it's filled with uh, so much that there's not a, enough time to go over everything. We've talked so far about the introduction, uh, the first two chapters, there are 11 chapters in the book. Chapter 3 is silence and prayer. 4 is praying in loving faith. The 5th is praying to a hidden God. And the 6th, poverty. Um, I'm going to jump to uh, liturgical prayer, mass, other sacraments, liturgy, the hours, and the, and the closing paragraphs, only because of the situation that we are in now where people may be confused. Maybe all they did was was go to a mass or and uh, or to their own particular services uh, and uh, now have to rely on prayer. And maybe they didn't pray as much as uh, in the past as they should have or as they should have prayed. And so I'd like to be able to talk a little bit more about that. But first, I'd kind of a summary of where it is that we have been before. I'd like to read this this quote from... Uh, St. John Vianney, the Curie of ours, he says, Prayer is nothing else but union with God. When one has a heart that is pure and united with God, he is given the kind of serenity and sweetness that makes him ecstatic, a light that surrounds him with marvelous brightness. In this intimate union, God and the soul are fused together like two bits of wax that no one can ever pull apart. This union of God with a tiny creature is a lovely thing. It is happiness beyond understanding. Father Boniface, anything you want to say before we jump towards the end of the book? Hmm. Well, it's a beautiful quote that you just read from St. John Vianney. It's a, a real classic describing what happens in prayer. And I I guess I would just emphasize, as we've already touched on in our conversation so far, uh, the whole first part of the book is really looking at the experience of prayer and some of those different dimensions. You read the chapter headings. We experience our own poverty. We experience that silence from God. Sometimes he seems hidden. Sometimes it's difficult and we reach out with faith. But I guess the, the really overarching point that I would make is again, drawing from that experience we have of relationships, relationships only grow over time with time invested. 
you can imagine how weak a marriage would be if a married couple only spent an hour together once every three months, you know, or even just once a week. Of course, it, it really takes time. We have to spend time with him. And the beautiful thing is, on the one hand, we think, oh, gosh, you know, there are all these techniques, and I need to learn these things. How do I become a good prayer? And how I have to, you know, just like uh, if I'm going to practice baseball or basketball or something else, I need to learn the different movements. And But the fact is, it's it's, again, more like a relationship. Nobody had to teach us how to be in relationships. Sometimes we need a little relationship counseling. Sometimes we need a little adjustment of our perspective or we need to try something new. But for the most part, we know how to be in relationship. We were conceived into one with our mother and our father, and we've grown into that in our families. And, and really, prayer is going to be like that more than anything else. Spending time with the Lord, He's going to lead us. The Holy Spirit really wants to teach us. And so I guess that's what I would emphasize above all, is that it's going to be like a relationship. We invest time. That's time every day. We just commit ourselves, persevere. There are going to be different movements, different chapters, different stories in our relationship with God in prayer, and not to get discouraged by that, but to persevere and keep giving ourselves, keep opening our hearts. And hopefully a lot of that material in the first part of the book helps people find where some of maybe the sticking points were. It's a little bit of relationship counseling that's coming out there, and we can make some adjustments. But that's the big thing is, you know, the the Lord will help you, and, and we can grow naturally by just taking the time with Him. Thank you. Um, we're going to move now to the closing chapters of the book only because of the limitations of time and the chapters titled Liturgical Prayer, Mass, Other Sacraments, Liturgy of the Hours in the Word. Um, liturgy um, is um, shows that liturgical prayer is the highest form of prayer. And I quote from Heaven on Earth, subtitle in that chapter, like the church, the liturgy is both a divine and a human reality and thus a mystery. Through our prayer and the liturgy, we do not need to abandon our humanity in order to be taken up into the divine reality. Neither do we need to abandon the divine reality in order to make the liturgy more, quote unquote, realistic, more accessible or more meaningful. Rather, as we've expressed throughout this book, the divine and the human meet in the mystery of the incarnation of Christ, who is both true God and true man, and the mystery of the incarnation is consummated in the Paschal mystery. Amplify on that a little bit for us. You, you wrote about it in the beginning of the book, too, about the, the mystery of the incarnation and its relationship to prayer. Yeah, and I'd like to draw from the beginning of the book when we first talked about that. We talked about how the incarnation, so that's the Word becoming flesh, God becoming a human being, conceived in the womb of Mary, born of her in Jesus Christ. Uh, So the incarnation, the meeting place of God and man, is precisely in vulnerability, It's in vulnerability that the human and divine meet. And that's, again, something so amazing that God has revealed. A lot of times when we think about divinity, we think of all this power. We think of invincibility. We think of so much strength. But what God has revealed is that 
inside of him is so much tenderness, so much vulnerability. And what he fully reveals of himself on the cross is infinite vulnerability. And so vulnerability becomes the meeting place between God and man. And that's such a relief for us, because not all of us can develop Herculean strength. Not all of us can develop great feats of prayer and extended hours of vigils and fasting and all of these kinds of heroic expressions of uh, conquering our humanity and uh, arriving at the great mountain of divinity. And when we realize that God has come close to us in the Incarnation, and He does that specifically in vulnerability, all of us can become vulnerable. All of us can open those very tender and interior places of our hearts where our identity is, where we can be badly hurt if we're betrayed or rejected. That's why it's vulnerable. Vulnus is the word for wound in Latin. So it's woundable. We can become woundable. We can share our hearts and, and open up before the Lord. And when we realize that's where he meets us, oh, it's such an encouragement for us. And so how do we enter into the to the Mass? Again, the, sometimes we get this idea like we're supposed to get something out of the Mass. We, we maybe take our, our notebooks and we study the homily or we test each other on the readings or we have these ideas. And none of that is wrong in itself. It's wonderful to learn something from Mass, to hear a word that's preached. You and I prepare homilies to instruct people. That's an important thing. But most fundamentally, most importantly, what we need to do in the Mass is to bring our open hearts to become vulnerable, to bring our need before the Lord, to bring our desire to just share ourselves and to love Him there. And that's why when we see the Mass as an encounter of love and, and a revelation of God's tenderness, then we start to get a picture of how we can enter more deeply into the Mass. And, and the same applies to the other sacraments and to the Liturgy of the Hours. But we want to bring vulnerability rather than merely striving for this sort of undistracted, perfectly focused perfection of attention in which we get all of the insights out of the text, <laughs> yes. uh, rather to bring open and tender hearts that need the Lord. Yes, you write further in the book that um, we are lifted up to heaven and united with the saints in praise of God, and we open our human faculties to the work of grace. What are the divine realities to which we we lift our hearts? What is the taste of heaven that we desire? Again, as we discussed a little bit earlier, of course, that uh, those divine realities, that taste of heaven is ultimately love and littleness. Jesus says, unless you become like this little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. We could say heaven is for children. And heaven is a place where children, where the most vulnerable among us, are absolutely safe, are perfectly loved, are taken care of. And it's where we can bring that, those littleness, those little places in ourselves into the presence of God and know that we are absolutely loved, unconditionally accepted, taken care of, safe, secure. We can open that up in the liturgy. We can open that up in, in getting a little taste of God, getting a little taste of heaven. And God enters into every part of us. Isn't that true? Absolutely. Yeah, we 
sometimes think that he only wants to see the very uh, best things in us. And so uh, we, we put on our Sunday best, and there's a point to that because we want to show reverence for him. But ultimately, we're, we're members of his family. We're, we're children in his household, and he really gets to see everything. And so letting him see the, uh, the parts of our hearts that are not so well put together when we find ourselves, and it's as uh, true for me as for anybody else, I, even in the middle of celebrating Mass, I suddenly discover that my mind is thinking back on this radio program, is thinking back about the people that I talked with yesterday, is thinking ahead to what I have to do after Mass, and I suddenly realize with a little bit of embarrassment, I'm there in the most sublime mystery and I'm thinking about the most mundane things. Yes. And the best thing to do at that moment is just to lift it up to the Lord and to have a little, uh, a little moment of embarrassment and let Him look on me with love and offer those thoughts to Him and turn my attention back to Him and keep giving what I can. But He doesn't reject any of those things in me. He takes all of it such as it is as I, as I offer it to Him. Will God always remain fundamentally mysterious to us? Well, He's always larger than our categories. And so, in a certain way, there, there is always a, a mystery that goes beyond anything that we can understand. At the same time, God is love. And so the love that we have and the divine love that He gives us is something that continues into eternity. The love that we have now is the same love that will be there in much greater form, in much fuller perfection, but it's still the same love. It's like a trickle of what will become an ocean, but just like that little stream, it's the same water that flows into the ocean. And so the love is, is really part of him. The mystery is, is in our conceptions of him. We live behind a veil of faith, and the way that we understand things now really will be transformed. We talk about the beatific vision, we see clearly, we see him face to face. That'll be something different than anything we can imagine. So that St. Paul can say, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it so much dawned on man what God has prepared for those who love him. The love is continuous, but the vision, there's a, there's a mystery that we won't be able to wrap our minds around until we see him face to face. What is it that causes us to uh, fail to experience these wonderful divine realities that we've been discussing? Well, there is a, a limitation in our, our humanity that gives us the opportunity for faith. One of the things that faith protects is freedom. And it sounds like, you know, we, we often have this protest, why doesn't God show himself to me? Why doesn't he just speak clearly to me? Why doesn't he just tell me? But the fact is, if he were that straightforward if he revealed himself in that way, it would overwhelm us, like with uh, what God did in, uh, you know, on the mountain of Sinai with fire and earthquake and thunder and wind. Uh, it overwhelms us. And there's a way that the Ten Commandments should overwhelm us. They should be a real thunderclap that demand our attention. It's the ground rules of justice. But in the more subtle ways, God really wants to protect our freedom, so he doesn't want to overwhelm us. He wants to give us room for faith, to trust him, to believe in him, or not. He wants to give us real freedom to disbelieve in him and to walk away, if that's what we choose, because without freedom, there's no love. 
And ultimately, he doesn't want just a kind of mechanical obedience. He could make robots, and he makes animals, but he made human beings for love. And to protect our freedom, he hides everything behind a veil of faith. And he invites us then lovingly to believe, to trust, or not. And he gives us, he allows us to take the steps that we need to take. He never forces us. Can we find God in silence when we don't know what to say? Yes, we certainly find God in silence. And that's such an important thing for us to do in our prayer, to really expect that there are going to be even lengthy times of silence in prayer. There's a way that God seems to move a lot slower than we do. He, he kind of slows things down. And it's almost like the way that we see out of our peripheral vision. We're looking straight ahead, but we just catch something out of the corner of our eye. And as we enter into a prayer with more extended times of silence, as we allow some of the noise, you know, really, especially in our society today, that so much of the media is not like this program that we're doing right now, Monsignor, where there's a, a little bit longer periods of discussion and reflection. A lot of it is so broken up into tiny fragments. We, we jump from one two-minute article to another two-minute article to a, another image to another little one-minute video, and we're so fragmented, so hyper-stimulated that one of the things we do in prayer is just to let some of that stuff settle, let the dust settle, let the sediment that gets stirred up in the riverbed just settle down until there's clear water and we can see and it's, it's in that space that we are able to sense the presence of God, that we're able to hear him a little bit more clearly. But it's going to sound like a lot of silence and enter, invite us to enter into a lot more silence. And sometimes it comes through in a way that we can say, I think the Lord said to me, I believe that he guided me in this way. Other times it's just a sense of his, his love and his presence, that he was there and he just sat with us, and we enjoyed each other for a period of time. Sometimes we have a hard time connecting. Our emotions, our, our interior senses can't quite get a handle on him, but we still trust. There's never a time that we open our hearts to God that he isn't there, that he isn't loving us. And so every time of prayer is valuable. And sometimes in the silence we're able to let in more, than we can get if we limit him to images and words. Sometimes he's giving us more of his love than we could ever conceive of or imagine when we're just in that silence. And steadily over time, we start to look back and we say, wow, I've really been transformed by taking those times in silence with the Lord. And so as we face, uh, as people face um, what they don't understand or how to deal with the range of emotions that they're feeling during this uh, worldwide crisis. Uh, prayer, you write, can help us to express the range of emotions that arise. And what we need to do is to keep lifting our hearts to the Lord, no matter how difficult it may be or no matter how it feels. And in terms of devotional prayers, one such prayer, we just have a couple minutes before we take our next break, the Jesus Prayer. Tell us about the Jesus Prayer as one form of prayer. Yeah, it's a prayer that we get from monasticism and then through the Eastern Church. And 
just a very simple, repetitious prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And just saying that slowly, steadily, over and over again, without trying to make our prayer complicated. And generally, prayer becomes more and more simple as we, as we grow. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That simple prayer can give us a chance to lift up our hearts, to lift up the confusion, to lift up the fears, lift up the concerns, and just offer them to him and ask for his mercy. And we can say that hundreds of times, thousands of times, until it, it almost becomes part of our heartbeat, part of our breathing, and it becomes an experience and an opening to the continual presence of God who is with us. And... Um... It was used when people were engaged in in the desert with uh, uh, with with Satan, with demons. A strategy they employed for resisting demonic temptation was the use of scripture, using the example of Jesus's temptation in the desert. And you write, um, they also offered a simplified approach with a single scripture passage from Psalm seventy: "God, come to my assistance, Lord." Make haste to help me. And the Desert Fathers encouraged regular and even repetitious use of it uh, to battle demons and uh, to keep one's attention focused on the Lord. And over time, that single verse from uh, Psalm 70 was replaced with a variant of the Republicans' prayer. You write, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And by repeating this simple prayer many times, even thousands of times a day, the prayer moves from the lips to the mind and from the mind to the heart. So we're going to take this final break and then we'll be back. Welcome back to uh, the final segment of Amplify with Father Boniface Hicks, Benedictine monk from St. Vincent Archabbey in uh, La Trobe. He and Father Thomas Acklin have written a book called Personal Prayer, a guide for receiving the Father's love. And as all of you know, if I don't uh, interview someone about a book, if I have not read the book thoroughly myself and really like it. So uh, that's the case. Um, and at a time now in our country, it, it could be a help to many people. Personal prayer, a guide for receiving the Father's love. Boniface, tell us a little bit about what is meant by the experience known as warming of the heart. It's a, an expression used in the, in the Eastern Church in particular, and we were talking a little bit about the Jesus prayer before the break and comes uh, especially out of uh, related to that tradition and, and more generally to the monastic tradition and uh, corresponds to the experience we have, uh, I think, uh, very closely related to what St. Ignatius of Loyola would describe as spiritual consolation in that because we are embodied, Prayer is not just an idea. It's not just a technique. We aren't trying to master a practice in order to achieve a state of consciousness, but we're entering into a relationship, and that relationship engages our whole person. It engages our minds and our will, but also our feelings, our sentiments. And so 
the warming of the heart has a way of bringing those things together a bit that we do feel loved as we enter into prayer. It's not something that we can produce mm-hmm. in ourselves, and that's why it's not just a, a kind of technique or a state of consciousness. It really is a gift, as St. Ignatius of Loyola also describes it, a gift from the Lord, a spiritual consolation that helps us to feel his closeness, to feel his love, to feel his presence. And uh, St. Ignatius points out that when we have that kind of feeling, uh, an inflaming of the heart, a warming of the heart uh, that lifts us up away from created things, that focuses our attention on God, sometimes also a kind of inner stillness and inner peace or even being moved to tears or spiritual joy, that those experiences of spiritual consolation sometimes also go together with words and images that we can trust are really from the Lord. Those experiences, those emotional, those interior experiences are what happens when God communicates his grace to us and it kind of uh, communicates to our will, but it overflows into the rest of our bodies. So we can feel it, we can experience it. And it's a beautiful realization because our, our humanity is, is something beautiful. Our feelings, our emotions are something beautiful. Now, all of us are in a place of a little bit of disintegration because of original sin and we have a fallen nature and things don't all kind of coordinate the way they're supposed to, but some of them do. And we can certainly grow in, in healing and, and grow closer to the Lord and experience that more and more. So that, that warming of the heart that comes... Uh, in reference to the Jesus prayer, maybe after praying the prayer a number of times, and it helps us to become more and more vulnerable, more and more open to the Lord, and then we experience his closeness. He becomes very tangible and and present to us in a way that we can feel in our hearts, we can experience. On March uh, 25th, um, Pope Francis is going to uh, pray the rosary, and the hopes are that people throughout the world will join at that time to pray the rosary to overcome what it is we are facing as a world at this time. And for those who don't understand the rosary or may even misunderstand it, say a little bit about why Catholics pray the rosary and Mary in prayer. Yeah, Again, uh, applying some of the insights from the first part of the book about how we enter into a relationship with God, which has human qualities because God became human for us. Uh, So our experience of relationships flows into our prayer in general, and uh, we bring ourselves into that. But one of the amazing gifts that God has also given us is is a lot of friends. God chose one particular woman to become the mother of that incarnate son, to become the mother of of Jesus, the incarnate word. And so she received some special grace. And in fact, he made her a mother of all of us when he entrusted his disciples to her at the cross, when he really made her the mother not only of his humanity, but of the whole mystical body of Christ, of the church. He made her a mother of every one of us. And so we have a mother It's a wonderful thing, a great gift. In Mary, we all have a mother. Now, we all have a mother because we were born to one, and we don't discredit her or disregard her in any way. But 
we also have a mother in Mary who is perfect, who is uh, always present to us, who loves perfectly. And each of our own mothers had their own limitations, wonderful as they are. Uh, Mary kind of fills in some of the gaps for us, and she uh, can really help us. So how do we reach out to her? How do we develop a relationship with her? Well, all of the same things apply that we've talked about so far. We do that in our humanity. We can be little children. We can climb into her arms. We can use our imaginations. We can let ourselves feel her closeness. We can do all of those things. But one of the things that's developed in the context, uh, in the tradition of the church, is the rosary as a, a structured prayer addressing Mary as our mother. And we do that together, reflecting with her, reflecting on the mysteries of her son, the uh, various mysteries of faith. We use our imagination to engage those, and we uh, enter into those with her. As Pope John Paul wrote so beautifully in his letter on the on the rosary, which we reference quite a bit in our book, the best thing would have been just to copy the whole letter into that chapter. Uh, so I can only encourage our listeners to take the time to read that Rosarium Virginis Maria, his apostolic letter on the rosary. But he talks about contemplating the face of Christ with Mary. We do it together with her. She introduces us to her son, and she takes care of us personally. So all of those uh, needs that we have that maybe only a mother could understand, we have a mother who can really take us into her arms and, and take care of us. Under a um, part of the book, um, various devotional prayers, you um, talk about how the Catholic Church lists three expressions of prayer— vocal prayer, meditation, and contemplative prayer, and that these three categories follow a progression in our spiritual life. Tell us a little bit about each of these three expressions. Well, certainly vocal prayer is something that we can do before we understand anything. In some way, it's uh, the prayer that already little children can start to memorize words and uh, I'm always touched by little children who are praying the Hail Mary and get it all kind of jumbled up because they don't actually understand the words, but they're imitating the sounds and, and they're expressing those things. There are some children, I, I wasn't baptized till I was 21, so I'm not one of them, who uh, one of the people who are blessed to have never had a, a time in their lives that they can remember that they didn't know some of these vocal prayers. Uh, our Father, the Glory Be, the Hail Mary, the, the Act of Contrition, the Jesus Prayer, the, all these different ways of vocalizing prayer. But ultimately, we want to tie together with vocal prayer some kind of meditation that as we pray the Hail Mary, perhaps we also envision the face of Mary, or we allow ourselves to elaborate on the, the ways that she listens to us, or we, we think about the mysteries of the Rosary. And that's where meditation comes in, that we start to reflect actively. We use our minds and our imagination. We use our, our memory and our internal senses to try and create a scene and place ourselves in it. There's, uh, we we make, can draw conclusions, even as we were doing earlier in the program, that if God is love and holiness is to be part of God, then holiness is love. And sometimes we make those kinds of conclusions. We do some thinking in prayer, and, and we, we describe that as, uh, the Church describes that as meditation. So 
vocal prayer and meditation certainly can and should go together. We don't need to do vocal prayer in order to meditate. We might just be looking at the words, and then we close our eyes, and we don't vocalize anything. We don't say anything out loud. We just meditate on the text of the scripture or on the mystery of the rosary or on just something that's happened in our lives, maybe just having a dialogue with God, imagining ourselves talking to Him. But then also, uh, we might even describe it as a kind of listening or receiving. Contemplative prayer doesn't necessarily require an active effort. It's more of a loving awareness of God's presence, a, a loving attentiveness to God's presence. And it's the kind of prayer that that happens, again, to make the relational analogy. We can be talking to somebody who's in the same room. That's a kind of uh, vocal prayer. We might be maybe thinking about them in, uh, in meditation. But sometimes we're just aware of somebody being there. We don't know exactly. Uh, again, I like to use the analogy with spouses. You know, a husband knows that his wife is at home. He doesn't know exactly where she is in the house, but... He has a sense of her presence in the house or a sense of her presence in the room, even though he's not talking to her, even though he's not necessarily looking at her at that moment. He knows she's there and he loves her. And that's a contemplative, when we have a loving awareness of God's presence, that's a a contemplative prayer. And so really all three of those different aspects of prayer can go together. We can be vocalizing something meditating on it, and having a loving awareness of the presence of God. We might also be doing something completely different. Uh, even as I'm talking to you uh, on, over the phone and talking to our listeners over the radio, I'm really focusing my attention on what I'm saying, on what we're talking about, on the text of the book, but I can still have a loving awareness of God's presence. I can have a sense that we're in the presence of God at the same time. And that's how contemplative prayer actually can stretch out into the whole of our lives. And that's how we can fulfill the, uh, the call of St. Paul to pray without ceasing or the call of Jesus to pray without growing weary. Contemplative prayer is the kind of prayer that continues even when we're not thinking explicitly about God. We have that loving awareness of him. And Pope uh, Benedict uh said that praying must always involve this intermingling of public and personal prayer. This is how we can speak to God and how God speaks to us. Why should we never stop praying for someone even after they have died? Well, we're still connected with them. We don't just kind of cut off people when when they've when they've passed away we're we're still connected to them in the mystical body of Christ and we have that sense in our humanity somebody was living 5 minutes ago and now they've gone to god uh, and yet we are the relationship is still alive so so we have that sense of connection first of all that's very important and then we know that the the journey continues we're really in the in that union we can help them in the ongoing process of purgation, if that's part of uh, their experience after death and, and judgment, that there's a time of purgatory, a time of purification as they continue their journey into God. And so we, we accompany them in that. Pope Benedict has a wonderful section from Space Salvi from his encyclical letter on hope, where he talks about how we didn't sin alone, 
and we aren't saved alone. We, we do it all together. Really, it's not just an individual race for salvation and a competition to arrive at heaven. It's really a communal movement where God wants to save all of us together. And so we continue praying for each other, even after death. And if the person has entered into heaven, well, that prayer is really uh, becoming a, a kind of friendship and asking the person to pray for us. But we maintain the connection in prayer with those who have gone before us to God. As you uh, write about the uh, fruits of interior prayer, you write, the more deeply personal our relationship with God in prayer, the more we pour ourselves out in love. First of all, we become increasingly transparent and of all reality, particularly other persons in the providence of God, become more transparent. We become transparent through love and vulnerability. And under part of that, God's love can be terrifying. How is it that love can be terrifying? <laughs> when God opens up so much to us, uh, love has a way of, of making us feel uh, indebted. We, we spontaneously want to respond. And what we experience in God's love is something overwhelming. When we see what God has done, and, and really the fact is we only get glimpses of understanding, but as we comprehend more and more what God has done for us in the Incarnation by becoming one of us, and then on the cross by emptying his life out as he takes all of our sin on himself, all of our suffering on himself, all of the suffering throughout the history of time, when we, when we start to comprehend that, it's just overwhelming, and we start to think, what, what is he going to ask of me, or, or how can I possibly repay this? And the thought of giving everything in that way, in that radical way, uh, makes us uh, quiver a little bit in thinking, is that even possible? It's a little like walking on water. We look at that water, and it doesn't look like solid ground. <laughs> How are we really going to get out of the boat and take the risk of giving everything that we have, fearing that if we give everything and we just, do we end up with nothing? Or do we give everything and then we end up with everything? That when we entrust our, our hearts into totality, into God, that we end up with everything. We gave away all of our little humanity and we ended up with all of his infinite divinity. But that's a big risk. And it can be terrifying. And uh, we are encouraged in the book to pray unceasingly that our sin will always be for us. Um, but self-denial and, and dying to self becomes important. And you write that uh, in terms of eternally new, we are often uneasy or even terrified by what is new. We so often have great difficulty letting go of what has been for fear that it will be lost, even eternally lost. The new is not some eternal energy coming from the quote-unquote universe, but it is the never animating, it is the ever, excuse me, the ever animating, rejuvenating, transforming love of God. 
How do we live aware of the new in each moment of our existence? How do we live and pray it? We must prayerfully search and find what is new, or better said, allow reality to reveal how God makes all things new. Our guest this evening has been Father Boniface Hicks. Book is titled Personal Prayer, A Guide for Receiving the Father's Love. Father Boniface, thank you so very much for this primer that you've given to us on prayer. And hopefully it will be very helpful to those of us who are feeling a little bit overwhelmed by what is happening in the world and will turn to prayer to a closer relationship with God that already exists. Thank you, Monsignor. It's been wonderful to be with you. And as you mentioned at the beginning of the program, providential to talk about this topic in this time. I really hope that our listeners are encouraged and strengthened to enter into prayer as they are. We don't have to become ex- we don't have to be experts. No. We just have to enter into relationship with God. It's really been a, a joy to spend this time with you. Thanks for having me on. Same here. You're welcome. Good night. So, um, there's so much we skipped over tonight. The book has so much more, and it talks about many other forms of prayer, charismatic prayer, the gift of prophecy, for example, uh, are only two of them, two of the other forms of prayer, but uh, so much. But let me close with uh, another quote from uh, his book. Again, the title is Personal Prayer, A Guide for Receiving the Father's Love. If we've come to love with a God-like love, then standing before Christ at the particular judgment, we will in our transparency see how much we have become like him who is absolute transparency because he is infinite, self-giving love. We know, we see, and we act from the inside out, just like he does. And we see with the same love he does. And thus we are like him in ways that are mysterious. It is mysterious how we are like him because our transparency has been transformed by his transparency. For those who have loved in a solely self-loving way, even rejecting his love, they will see with the pains of hell how unlike him and opposed to him they have become. On the other hand, if we realize that we still need to be purified further in love in order to be like him, we will rejoice at the purifying fire of love in purgatory. If we become like him and see him as he is, we will forever remain in that abiding, divinely self-emptying love, in union with all those others who have been transformed by his love. Faith and hope will have been stretched beyond their outmost limits and burst into an eternal vision and full possession. This is the blessed vision of God, where we are possessed in love by the Son, who gives us the capacity to see the Father as the Holy Spirit who draws each person in his unique individuality into the perpetual adoration and who imparts to us in the fullness of the personality God has willed for us, the perpetual adoration 
and eternal love of God. Then we will fully contemplate eternally what we contemplated partially from the first staring, stirrings of our prayer that we belong to God and we're made for him, that we are truly his beloved sons and daughters. Don't forget then how precious life is and love is and come back next Sunday and amplify with us.